ready to get started with uh, an unexpected new series of teachings. This was not uh, this was not an expected series. It wasn't planned, but I'll I'll tell you a little bit more about that in just a minute. But let's take a look first of all at Psalms chapter eighty six and verse eleven. This is the New King James version of this verse. It says, "Teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth and unite my heart to fear your name." Could we read that together in unison? Let's go. Teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Unite my heart to what? One more time, Holy Spirit. We thank you that you are here. Thank you that you're already moving and that you're already speaking and that things are already happening in our midst and in our hearts and we're being changed by your presence, by your anointing. And now we thank you for your word that will never return void to you. Thank you that your word changes us. Every time we hear it and receive it, it changes us and it produces fruit. It produces good results. And so today we embrace your word in its entirety, everything you're speaking to us. And I thank you that each and every one of us will be transformed today by the power of your word and the power of your Holy Spirit. We receive it in Jesus' name. Now, if you really want it, say amen. amen. Today, we're going to start a three-week, uh, I guess we could call it a mini-series because it's not going to go, you know, as long as a typical series. But the title of this new series is Fearful or Fearful, right? Come on, say Fearful, fearful. or fearful. fearful. Why don't you ask your neighbor, are, are you Fearful. Or are you fearful? As you're going to see that those are two really different concepts. But, you know, I decided to, to share about this for the next three weeks because I know many of you were with us over at the North Georgia Revival two Sunday nights ago. Who was there with us? And man, did God move. His presence was tangible, powerful. People's lives were changed, including mine. And, um, you know, I, I, I felt like God asked me to speak about and teach about over there about uh, the fear of the Lord, and uh, it was great. It was powerful. I know many of you were there. Some of you listened to it online. Other, others of you maybe haven't heard uh, this message, but I, I came back, and several people kept telling me over the, the course of about the next week and a half, you really ought to teach about that at Encounter Church. Like, we need that as a church, and, and, and I know everybody wasn't there at the revival that night, and maybe not everybody's listened to it online. Those of you that were there and those of you that listened to it, uh, a lot of what I may teach today, you may have already heard a lot of it, but not all of it. Okay, This is not a repeat of two Sunday nights ago, all right? Some of it will be, but some of it will not. And then I'm going to take today and then through Father's Day to teach about the fear of the Lord. Is that okay? You really want to be here on Father's Day because it's going to take on a whole new meaning all right so come and be with us over the next few weeks for that i'm going to go to the scripture that i read at the revival two two weeks ago and it's acts 9 31 and it says this the church then had peace throughout judea and galilee and samaria and it became all right when i pause you say it loud all right and it became as the believers lived in the fear of the lord and with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it also what? Grew. Grew in numbers. Now, how does it say here that the church became stronger? Was it because they had great faith? 
Was it because they had great love? Does it say that the church grew stronger as more miracles happened? Why is it so quiet in here? Are you guys all right? Don't be, don't be scared. Actually, be scared, but the right kind of scared. All right, we'll get to that in a minute. But it says that the church grew stronger because they were living in the what? Fear, Fear of the Lord. What in the world is that? You know, deceptive, greasy grace teaching and an overall lack of knowledge, the lack of the knowledge of God's word, has really caused the church in this generation to kind of lose its footing. And listen, when I say the church, I'm not pointing out any specific church. Now, and by no means am I pointing a, a finger of judgment, condemnation in any way. But when I say the church, I mean the church at large and our church. We're part of it, right? So today we, we, we're, we're talking about something that's for the whole church, but we're talking about something very specifically that's for our church. Amen? And in reality, uh, uh, this generation has some some pretty bad teaching sometimes in the church and I don't know that it's always on purpose but you know we've talked about greasy grace before how many of you were here when we talked about greasy grace right grace ain't greasy right grace is power grace is power to live for God okay and a, a, a lot of it also has to do with the fact that people just don't know the word of God anymore a lot of Christians, they just don't know their Bible. They don't know what the Word of God says. And so a lot of times we tend to lose our footing and get tripped up because we just don't know or we've been taught wrong. And also this has caused us, the church in our generation, in many ways to compromise our influence. Rather than being influencers, sometimes we're the influenced. Rather than being the salt of the earth, right, the ones that are different, a lot of times we're the salted, right? Instead of being salty, we're getting salted. And that is not what the destiny, that is not the purpose, that's not the calling of the church. And so, you know, and if we can just throw it back up there on the screen, that Acts 39, 31. I don't necessarily think that what we're living in our day and age really reflects Acts 9.31. And this is a picture of revival. This, this happened, Acts 9.31 happened. After, first of all, the Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost. And the believers were filled with power and spoke in new tongues. And all the spiritual gifts were released. And then they went out and preached the word of God boldly. And thousands and thousands of people began to come to Christ, right? And then they went through a pretty tough season where there was persecution. And they were scattered. And even, do you guys remember who was martyred? Stephen, right? He was killed for just preaching the word of God. And so they were going through this tough time and Peter got thrown in prison. All this stuff happened, right? And then all of a sudden this major breakthrough happened after this kind of time of opposition and trouble. What was that breakthrough? Does anybody remember what happened? The dude that was in charge of sending Christians to death, what happened to him? He saw a light from heaven, right? And it knocked him on the ground. He had an encounter with Jesus. And he was forever transformed from the Christian murdering Saul to the great apostle Paul, right? And so all of this had just happened when we get to Acts 9.31. And it says this was the state of the church. They had peace. They were growing stronger. And they were also growing in numbers. Now, let's just talk a little bit about the church of 2019. Is that all right? Can you believe we're almost to 2020? That sounds like a science fiction movie. 
Like, we're almost to 2020. I know that those of you that were born after 2000 are like, what? But those of us that grew up in the 80s, 2020 was like, I don't know if we will ever make it to that, right? But we're almost there. Others are looking at me, why are you saying 80s? How about 60s and 50s, right? That, I mean, we're almost to 2020, and I wish I could say the church of almost 2020 looked like that, what we just read. But it doesn't. It doesn't. The peace that we have, let's go back to the scripture there. The peace that we may describe as having is really just kind of superficial. No, we're not in a season of great persecution of the church. There's not like a lot of Christians being killed in the United States just for being Christians that we know of. But boy, is there hostility toward the people of God. And there, the, 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 the rate of martyrdom around the world in the nations is greater today than ever. More Christians are being killed today for their faith than, than uh, past times in history. And so let's not... By the deception that everything's just kind of at peace. We're good. We're not. Okay? Not only that, but and this is where we're going to really hone in. We're going to really focus over the next few weeks. Um, with, with all due respect and love, I'm a pastor. Okay? So I love the church. Are you with me? All right, everybody say, Pastor Hunter loves the church. If I didn't love the church, I wouldn't be a pastor. By the way, come on, somebody. So what I'm saying, what I'm expressing today doesn't come in any way from a judgmental or condescending tone. Yes, it may be corrective, but it's corrective because I feel the loving father God correcting us as children. I just don't think we're all that strong from what I see. The church and its influence, and I'm very specifically referring to our nation today, really isn't all that strong. And instead of getting stronger, it seems like the church is cowering and getting weaker. Instead of being on the front lines and being bold, a lot of times we're cowering and kind of shrinking to, 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 to the back and really not being that powerful influence God's called us to be in our society, and in reality, it says that they also grew. Let's, let's look at the rest of that verse. It says they also grew in numbers with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, I'm going to just, uh, Liz told me after I preached two Sunday nights ago, like, I hope people didn't think something that you didn't mean to say. So let me just be clear. I said when I preached at the revival that I love mega churches, but blah, blah, blah. That in no way, shape, or form do I... Not like mega churches. In fact, we really look up to a few of them, like Bethany Church, uh, Hillsong Church, Church of the Highlands, Gateway Church. There are churches that we look to as, wow, what, what an inspiration and how they're reaching people. But what I was saying and what I want to say today is that despite the fact that there are some really big, awesome churches doing great things today, a lot of what we call church growth, just look around you. Just consider our church. And I don't mean this in a negative way. It's just more of a reality check than anything else. 
A lot of what we call church growth is just people transferring from one church to another. And by the way, that's not growth in numbers. That's just shifting. <laughs> that's like putting money from your checking into your savings. <laughs> Which, if you have a savings account this day and age, that doesn't really mean very much, right? Well, certain types of savings account. All right. But the point is, a lot of what we call growth is some churches getting really, really big because they caught on to something. They're being more relevant. They're reaching more people. And a lot of other churches are dying out or, or, or just kind of falling behind. But that's not what this is talking about. You know what this kind of growth is? New believers, people that were lost and totally far from God, being brought close to God. People that were lost, being born again. People that were bound up, getting delivered. People that were without God coming to a relationship with God. That's what it means when they grew in numbers. And you guys, we're going to see that. In counter church, that's who we are. That's who we're called to be. We're called to be a church that doesn't just receive people from other churches that are dissatisfied. If you came from another church because you're dissatisfied and you want more and you're here, praise the Lord. You are welcome. You're always welcome. We have plenty of those here. But let me tell you, our mission, our vision is to reach people that are far from God. That's the kind of growth we really, truly want to see for the kingdom. And I can say, we're not seeing as much as we ought to. Come on, tap your neighbor and say, where's the harvest? Where, where's the great harvest Jesus talked about? So we're talking about, that verse talks about church growth. And talks about peace, but what we're going to focus on is one of the things that we're lacking in, and I think he's even more detrimental than the lack of growth and maybe the lack of peace, is the loss and lack of the fear of God and God's people. In fact, I think that we're not seeing the growth that we could see because there's a lack of the fear of God in God's people. Because every story I read about when the fear of God came on the people of God and it manifested, the only thing I see after that is it says great crowds were brought to Jesus. And I believe we're going to see that, y'all. But it's so important that we, that we identify our losses, right, so that we can recover it. Come on, say, it's time to recover I really felt like the Lord say, this is a fearless generation. And we hear this word all the time, like, you're fearless, right? Even got t-shirts and necklaces and everything. And, and it's kind of like this pump you up, pump up your self-esteem. You're fearless. You can face anything. You can do anything. And that's good. That's, that's good. I want to be that kind of fearless, amen? I want to be courageous and bold. But there's another kind of fearless that this generation is. And that is we are fearless. We lack fear of God. Y'all all right? The verse said the fear of the Lord makes us strong. But what the, is the problem? I think that we lack the fear of God because we haven't understood the fear of God. And because, pardon me, but the church has explained it away. It's been given two types of definitions. One really weak, silly definition. 
and another really legalistic definition. What do I mean by that? Some people just explain, you know, when the Bible talks about the fear of God, it just means that you just don't want to hurt God's feelings. You just don't want to hurt his heart. But listen, I don't want to hurt his heart. But there's a lot more to the fear of God than just not wanting to hurt God's feelings. God's feelings don't depend on me or you, by the way. Can you hurt God's feelings? Yes. Does sin break God's heart? Yes. But the fear of God is way more than just, oh, I just want to make him feel good, right? Now, let me tell you what the other wrong definition of the fear of God is. God is so almost like bad, like we're scared of him. And it's, you know, he's looking at you. He's ready to just send you to hell, right? That's also the wrong fear of God. We got to understand what the real fear of God is. We got to rediscover it so we can recover it. Come on, somebody say, I'm going to recover it. What is the fear of God? Well, I think I'm just going to give you two words and then I'm going to explain it. Is that all right? Fear of God is reverent respect. It's reverent respect. It's not just respect. Are y'all with me? It's a certain type of respect because you know who you're respecting. See, we have respect for a lot of folks. But aren't there some more, uh, certain folks that we have more respect for? And a different kind of respect for? Fear of God is having the right type of respect towards God. Let me, th- th- this will help you. Are, y- are y'all ready for this? The fear of God is treating God like God. But a lot of times we don't treat God like God. We treat God like our idea of God or what we would wish God would be like. Instead of treating God what he is like and who he is revealed in his word. The fear of God leads me to see God and treat God like he's God. That's the fear of God. It's reverent respect. And it is the fear of offending God. And it's not the fear of offending God just for the offense. Because, listen, he'll get over it. Are you with me? In fact, he already got over it. Jesus went to the cross and paid the price for all our offenses. The blood of Jesus was spilled to pay for that. But it's the fear of offending him because of the consequences of it. Are y'all with me? And the Bible is so clear from beginning to end that there's really bad news. In fact, what makes the gospel, the good news, so good is because without it, all we're left with is some really bad news. And the bad news is... We have all offended and rebelled and disobeyed and turned our backs on the perfect almighty God who created us. And because of that, we're separated from him and there is no remedy for it that we could earn or accomplish. Y'all all right? The great news is so great is because God came and did what we couldn't do. 
He took care of what we couldn't take care of. We could never accomplish the forgiveness of sins. So he himself came as one of us in the form of Jesus Christ, the son. And he went to the cross and he died a criminal's death. And he carried my sins and your sins. And when someone comes to Christ, all our sins are wiped away. And they're no more. And God forgets about it. We're redeemed. We're forgiven. We come back into a relationship with God. God already took care of, 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 of our offenses. I'm going to read a verse here in just a few minutes, though. That strikes fear in me, the good kind. How could we see such a great gospel? How could we see such a great Savior dying on the cross for us, spilling his blood for us, dying a criminal's death for us because of our offenses, and then just go on offending God like nothing happened? I fear offending him. I fear that after knowing the good news that I just keep on offending God. It's fear of the consequences of sin because there are consequences. And the Bible describes it in one word, death. Not just physical death. All of us are going to die. Everybody's going to live 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years or so. I hope you live 100. But at some point, we're all just going to die. It's going to happen. It's not that death. It's separation, the death that Jesus, that the Father told Adam and Eve, if you disobey me, if you eat of that, I'm sure you're going to die. And they did, and they were separated from God. They were separated from relationship with God. Not just in this life. But if we die without forgiveness, we will be separated him from Him for all eternity. That's called hell. And that's very clear in the Bible. Are we clear on the bad news this morning? Aren't you happy? Doesn't that make the good news all the gooder? All right, I'm glad you smiled. The fear of the consequences of hypocrisy. Jesus did not, listen, he didn't take too well. To hypocrites, and that's where we want to be so careful as the people of God, the church, that we act like, or no, sorry, we say everything about God, but then oh, our life might not look like it. Where it's, you know, what a hypocrite is? It just means an actor, someone who's just putting on a show, but behind the scenes, you're not really that. Come on, y'all know that Robert Downey Jr. is not Iron Man. He's not. He's Robert Downey Jr. Newsflash. He's an actor. Don't be one of those type of people of God where you know how to put on your suit. You know how to put on your mask. Talk the talk. But behind the scenes, that isn't really you. Jesus was harsher on hypocrites, religious hypocrites, than he was on prostitutes. I'm scared if I'm a hypocrite. I'm terrified of being one. It pushes me not to be one. Now, let me just say this and we'll move on. 
The fear of God is not, everybody say not. not. Being scared of God. It's not. The fear of God is not being scared of God. In fact, that's the absolute wrong kind of fear of fear that you could have towards God. If you're scared of God, you're going to run away from him. And you better be scared of running away from him. You got me? See, that's the wrong kind of fear. They're, oh, my Lord, I'm afraid of God. I don't want to come close to you. No, 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 that's the wrong kind of fear. It's reverent respect. I'm not scared of him, but I deeply respect him. I know that this is a silly example. But if a monster walked in the back door right now, I'd be scared. I'd probably run back there with the kids or try to find a way out the back door. I'd run away. Everybody say, run away. That's not the kind of fear of God that the Bible talks about. And again, this is not a perfect example, but I gave this at the revival. You know, has anybody ever been stopped by the police? Oh, y'all are so holy. Lord, have mercy. I don't even need to be teaching this. Aaron raised all four. All right. Back in the day before I had kids, I, Lord, y'all don't even want to know. I remember driving 100 on the highways of Mexico. I didn't have the, enough fear, but not of God, of <laughs> other things. But you know what happens to me, which it used to happen more often, but when you have kids, something just changes and you don't tend to speed as much. I don't know, you just, I don't know, something just changes. It's like I can't do that the same way. But, you know, it had been a very long time since I had a speeding ticket. And then, I guess it was two months ago. And it wasn't because I meant to. I didn't even know how fast. Have you ever been speeding and you just didn't know? And then you look down and you're like, oh, Lord. You know, like, but then it was too late. In fact, I didn't even know I was speeding until the blue lights were on behind me, you know? But listen, let me tell you what the wrong kind of fear would have been. Step on it and try to get away from the cops, right? Have you ever seen the news how that typically ends? Yeah, high-speed chases aren't really good for the chased, right? Most of the time, the police win, okay, right? The right kind of fear, reverent respect, would be that's an authority. In fact, for the road, he's the authority, it doesn't matter what I think or what I want. That has been established. The speed limit is what it is, even if it's dumb. Because some places, the speed limit, anyway. All right. It's like, really? What? Okay. But in that moment, in fact, the place where I got that ticket, it was dumb. But anyway, all right, we're not going to. I'm not trying to deflect the blame here at all. But the right kind of fear was for me to slow down. Pull over, roll my window down, present my license and proof of insurance, and submit to whatever he had to say. Amen. Yes, sir. Or yes, ma'am. I prefer yes, ma'am, police. <laughs> but actually not all the time. Wait, uh, let me, let me, let, no, no, okay. Yeah, but to submit, right? The right kind of fear would be, you're the authority, I submit, Right? 
Okay. I fear. Are y'all with me? I fear to disobey God and what the consequences would be. I do. And so should you. Because even if you don't think about it, there will be consequences. Even if we just kind of try to brush it off or ignore it, or, there will be consequences when we intentionally, deliberately continue in sin. There will be. Y'all all right? Again, I fear displeasing him and what that would cause in my relationship with him. So the fear of God basically boils down to, again, treating God like God. Are y'all good? So the fear of the Lord is greatly missing in the church at large today. And how do I know that? How do I know? How can I stand up here and say, we're lacking the fear of the Lord. We need to rediscover and recover it, right? Well, I know it because of how we excuse and normalize sin. Like things that are clearly sin in the word of God, we just excuse it. We normalize it. Like it's just normal. That's what everybody does in this generation, right? It's just normal. It's not that big a deal. God's going to overlook that. Things have changed. Well, yes, things have changed, but some things haven't changed and never will. Sin is sin. Disobedience is disobedience. Culture changes. Times change. Yeah, there's a lot of things that change. But the clear Principles of the word of God are eternal. They're there. You can't get rid of them. You can't explain them away. You can't rationalize yourself out of them. But we do. Rationalize sin. Also what we do in secret. I I can tell you for sure that that is evidence of the lack of the fear of the Lord. That we say we believe in God in public, but in secret we act like he isn't there. Come on, that's no better than an atheist. In fact, it's worse to proclaim, I believe in an almighty, holy, righteous God. And then in secret, to live like he really isn't there, like he's not looking, like he's not hearing, like he doesn't know. Oh, better, you better believe it. He sees, he hears, and he knows. And let me tell you, if you're living in the fear of the Lord, that will bring you great comfort. It brings me great comfort. Listen, not because I'm perfect, not because I have it all together, not because I don't screw up. But the fact that he sees all and hears all and knows all makes me aware that I can run to him for help at all times. He is highly aware of me and my weaknesses. He is highly aware Of my coming and my going and the temptations that I face. He knows. He sees. He hears. But when I don't fear the Lord, I live like he doesn't see, hear, or know. Like I can do something. There is no privacy with God. Y'all all right? Oh, Jesus. I've had way too many conversations like this. Hunter, I'm in trouble. I'm depressed. Uh, whatever. Uh, I, I'm addicted. I'm pregnant. Um, and then they go on to tell you, you know, the story of what happened. And then it's like, I can't help but on the inside something go, you did what? Like, well, just this and this and then it just happened. And 
you, nothing just happened. You did it consciously. See, that lets me, and, and, and what it all boils down to is there was not fear of God. Because if the person had feared God, they would have never done that. You looked at what? Did you know he was looking at it with you? No, obviously not. Or you just chose to forget for the moment. You touched what? You slept with whom? You put what in your body? Now listen, I am not condemning anybody. I'm not saying this to make you feel bad. But you've got to open your eyes. We need to see. Sometimes we do things like God's not there. And then we come back to him like, oh, Lord, I'm in trouble. Well, yeah. If you would have, oh, Lord, it in the moment, you wouldn't have gotten in trouble. Now, listen, I'm not saying that is up here above y'all. I've been there. I've done that. I've had to realize in my own life at times, God, how stupid. I didn't fear you in that moment to look at that, to say that, to go there. But it's too much of it. Listen, how many of us have been appalled? We're just appalled by all these big hot shot preachers that fall and all of a sudden it's like they and all and, and I guarantee your reaction is like they did what how can that big awesome anointed preacher all of a sudden he's in jail he did what how, what do you mean that guy over there isn't he like supposedly some pillar of the community this great Christian that everybody looks up to he got who pregnant they did what? And, and, and we do that to other people. When's the last time you told yourself, you did what? You looked at what? You smoked what? Come on, let's get real up in here. You drank What? I, will, I just don't know what happened. We just somehow ended up in a room alone together. You didn't end up. You went there. And then you ended up. Because <laughs> we end up where we go. Hello? I don't know. All of a sudden, I was just drunk. No, you weren't all of a sudden just drunk. You drank one after another and got drunk. Oh, Lord. All right. I am not here today for the fourth time to point fingers or condemn or to make you feel bad. What I want is for us to open our eyes. A lot of the nonsense and the addiction and the sexual immorality and the filthy language and the stuff people look at that you go and you look at the church and you read the Bible says they have nothing to do with those things and then the church is full of it. You know what it is? People aren't scared of disobeying God. But they ought to be. Because no matter how much we normalize, rationalize, or explain it away, there will be consequences for sin. And that right there strikes fear in me. The fear of God. Are y'all okay? In fact... 
Proverbs 18, uh, sorry, Proverbs 8, 13 says, to fear the Lord is, all right? So we're literally looking at like a, a definition. Do we have Proverbs 8, 13? To fear the Lord is, we could even put like dot, dot, little colon right there. There you go. To fear the Lord is, to hate is one translation, or depart from evil. That's what it is to fear the Lord. To fear God is to run away from things he doesn't like. What does it look like practically? Come on, this is going to help somebody. Are you all right? We're trucking through this. How many of you have ever ended up in trouble because you were just following my convictions? I've sinned before because I felt like it. How about you? There's no other way around it. That's the explanation. There have been times where I did something I shouldn't because I just didn't feel I shouldn't. Come on, just, you ever done that before to sin? Just. But it says to fear the Lord is to depart, which means run away, run in the opposite direction of evil. To fear God is to hate the things that he hates and love the things that he loves. I'm telling you, your convictions will only take you so far. The fear of the Lord will take you where your convictions won't take you. The fear of God will keep you out of trouble when willpower will not. Right? I'm just straight up. There have been times when I've been tempted to sin and I didn't. And it wasn't because, oh, I'm so pure and holy and I don't want to do that. It was because I am afraid of what will happen if I do go there the fear of God will get you out of a mess that your feelings and convictions won't get you out of you ever resisted temptation even when you didn't really feel it Fear of God is not being afraid of God. It's afraid of being without God. Fear of God is not being afraid of God. It's being afraid of being far from God without him. I'm not scared of what God will do to me. I'm scared of what will happen if I'm not with him. Are you all right? I hope you're enjoying this feel-good message today. All right. Hallelujah. All right. Now, listen. Recently, I've heard stories of people backsliding. People close to me. People that you're like, Again, what? And you know what it boils down to? They weren't scared. They, 
They just didn't fear backsliding. They didn't fear what would have the consequences of getting far from God. And I hate this verse I'm about to read. No, okay, let me restate that. <laughs> I repent, Jesus. <laughs> I don't hate it. I don't hate the verse. I, I hate that I see this reality so often. That, that's what I mean. You ready? Go ahead and tell your neighbor, and this is not a feel-good one. Just tell him, you should fear backsliding. Now, I want you to look to the holiest person in the room that you think is holy, all right? And tell them, you ought to fear backsliding. Because some of the holiest... Hebrews 10, 26 through 31. This is the feel-good gospel right here. Dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we've received knowledge of the truth, there's no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. Next. There is only the terrible expectation of God's judgment and the raging fire that will consume his enemies. For anyone, oh, no, this is about to get worse. For anyone who refused to obey the law of Moses, come on, lesser than the gospel, was put to death without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Just think how much worse the punishment will be for those who have trampled on the Son of God and have treated the blood of the covenant which made us holy as if it were common and unholy and have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to us. Is anybody happy that the Holy Spirit brings God's mercy? We need some mercy right here, right now. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are here bringing mercy. For we know the one who said, I'll take revenge. I'll pay them back. He also said the Lord will judge his own people. It is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. See, when I read that, the last thing I want to do is run away from God. i got to get as close as I possibly can to that mercy. <sighs> Climb up into the mercy seat and take a nap and live there. See, if you don't want to serve God, that should make you absolutely horrified but if you truly want to serve God what that should make you do is run to him for mercy because guess what if you run to him for mercy you're gonna get mercy but yes most definitely indeed should we fear backsliding should we fear to ever say I used to walk with Jesus and I'm really not anymore Oh, God, I don't fear anything more than that. Fear of God motivates me to stay close to God. Not just to get close, but to stay close to God. Are we okay for one, just a little bit more here? Can I give you just a little bit more evidence of the fact that we lack the fear of God in the church? 
Are you all right? It's the way we act in his presence. When worship is happening or when, a pr- when prayer is happening or when the word of God is being preached, okay? We can be, I said this at the revival, flippant. Everybody say flippant. Can you show me a flippant face? Yes. Vale madre, that's right. Flippant, say flippant. Just say the word. It makes you just do that face like flippant. How about nonchalant? Say nonchalant. Come on, show me nonchalant. Mer, that's right. <laughs> Mer, meh. All right. You know, I experienced this. I was remembering <laughs> when I was a kid when we used to do the Pledge of Allegiance. Y'all remember that? Yes. Do they still do that at school? Remember when I lived in Mexico and we did the Pledge of Allegiance? You think we're patriotic. It's very long and drawn out and very respectful. And I remember when I was a kid, they would come on the intercom, please ride for the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag. All right? And everybody put their hand over their heart and say it. All right, if you were from another country, it wasn't a big deal, whatever. Okay, fine, fine. I'm not here to endorse the Pledge of Allegiance or the National Anthem before anybody gets their panties in a wad about any of that, okay? Okay? This ain't the news. This is church, all right? Are y'all okay? Thank you. Somebody say hallelujah. Hallelujah. I recently went to a Braves game, and all of a sudden, they started singing the National Anthem, and you know, like, what are you supposed to do when the National Anthem is sung? You stand up, you put your hand up. Why? It's just reverent respect, right? But I looked around, and I remember kids back in the day, Pledge of Allegiance, they'd be like, (sighs) (laughs) or some just wouldn't stand up, even though they should. And they had no reason not to, they just didn't. And I looked around at the Braves game, and I, again, I'm not preaching patriotism, please. But as the national anthem was being sung, most people were standing up. They were doing, you know, what they're supposed to be doing. They were being respectful. But other people were just kind of like, like nothing was happening. Just kept on talking. You think the Braves are going to win today? Hot dog, popcorn, cotton candy, you know. It's like, wait, do you not real like, something's happening. Now, Listen. I am not talking about the Pledge of Allegiance or the National Anthem. What I am talking about is we say God is here. Holy Spirit, thou art welcome in this place. The presence of the Lord is in the building. But we don't act like anything's different. This rhyme, so it'll help you take it home. Are you ready? Come on, say it. We say, God is here. But we act like it's no big deal. Kind of rhymes. Here, deal.
I think sometimes we forget who we're dealing with. Like, really, I just think we sometimes, it, it's not necessarily on purpose. You don't come in going like, I'm just going to disdain and disrespect God today. We just forget, like, who we're singing to, like, whose word is being preached, like, who we're praying to. Like, we, sometimes we just forget who it is that we're dealing with. You want a, a, a little reminder really quick? Okay. I think sometimes we forget he's holy. Look at Revelation 1, 12 through 18. When I turned to see uh, who was speaking to me, I saw seven gold lampstands. And standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. And we know that the Son of Man was Jesus, right? He was wearing a a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. His head and his hair were like white wool as white as snow. And his eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like polished bronze refined in a furnace, and his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. He held seven stars in his right hand, and a sharp two-edged sword came out of his mouth. And his face was like the sun in all its brilliance. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. But he laid his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. Why did he say, don't be afraid? Because John was afraid. (laughs) I'm the first and last. I'm the living one. I died, but look, I'm alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys to death and the grave. Why did Jesus say that? He was saying, that's the things you don't need to be afraid of anymore. (sighs) And don't be afraid of me, because I've overcome those things that are are bad fears, right? But he had the right response in the presence of the Lord. <laughs> I don't want to ruin the mic, but you know what I'm saying. When I sense the presence of God, it's not just like, oh, thank you, Jesus, your presence is here, so wonderful. Oh, great, aren't you glad the presence of the Lord is here? Where's my gum? I need my mints. I need some coffee. Hey, where are we going to eat after church? Or, oh, are they singing that song again? Holy, holy. Everything's holy, holy. We're singing that over and over again. I know I'm being silly and facetious, but when we say God is here, do we remember who we're talking about? Revelation 15, and they were singing the song of Moses, the servant of God, the song of the Lamb, great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God, the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear you, Lord, and glorify your name, for you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous deeds have been revealed. Come on, say, he's holy. It was time to be done nine minutes ago for me, so I'm going to bring this to a close. Maybe you don't like this. I just want to say don't be misled or, or deceived or try to explain it away that the fear of the Lord is an Old Testament thing. And Look, we just read Hebrews and Acts. 
there's more of the fear of God present in the New Testament under the new covenant of grace than you see in the Old Testament. So don't, 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 just don't buy that nonsense. Jesus, sweet, loving, kind, forgiving, our Savior, Jesus. He taught us to know God as Abba. We're going to do more, talk about more of that on Father's Day, but as Abba is like Daddy, Papi. Like the Jesus who introduced us and brought us into relationship with Almighty God as our Father. That same Jesus said, Luke 12, dear friends, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They can't do any more than that with you after that. I'll tell you whom to fear. Fear God. Who has the power to kill you and then throw you into hell. Yes. He's the one to fear. And he's not saying, be afraid of God because he's going to kill you and throw you into hell. He's saying that without this wonderful God, that's our, I would say hope, but that's no hope. <laughs> that's our destiny. But if we do fear him correctly, that's the amazing thing about the gospel. This almighty God who is perfectly pure and holy and righteous and we have every reason to be scared of him. But he doesn't want us to be scared of him. He wants us to be his children. But we cannot know him correctly if we don't have the correct fear of him. remember the, the, the verse we read last week when we talked about the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? One of the names of the Holy Spirit in Isaiah 11 is the Spirit of the fear of the Lord. The Holy Spirit is the one who teaches us to fear correctly. Now, just to end it, the fear of God sets me up for a good relationship with God. Are you all right? Because the fear of God I go back to the beginning, leads me to treat God like God. That sets me up for a good relationship with Him. You can stand to your feet if you will. Look at what it says here, to Philippians 2.12, dear friends. I'm going to let the worship team come and everybody just get settled so we don't get distracted. Let's not let anything distract us these last moment here. This is a call today. Dear friends, you have always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I'm away, this is Paul talking to people he discipled. Philippians 
It's even more important. This is a verse we don't read often or we don't really talk about it often, but it says here, work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence 